0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Manacast. Conversations about a vision of life that is truly good news for us, for our neighbours, and for the world. My name is Jacob Garrett, and with me, of course, is Jonathan Cornford. G'day, folks! Manacast, if you don't know, is the podcast of Managum. Managum is an organisation all about integrating faith, Christian faith, with ecology and economics. And as ever, we record the Manacast on Aboriginal lands. So we first want to acknowledge these lands traditional owners. I'm talking to you today from Nam in Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne, Victoria.
1: And I'm talking to you from the lands of the Djadjawurung
0: in central Victoria. We acknowledge these peoples as the traditional custodians of these lands and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Today we're talking about Christian vocation. There's a lot to unpack in this topic. It might take us more than one episode. We'll see. For me, this topic starts personally with something of a crisis of faith around when I was late teenage or early 20s, where I was struggling to see what difference being a Christian really made to life. I'd grown up going to church. I believed the gospel. But around that time, I stopped being able to, or I I had this problem around, what does it really make a difference to here and now? I think, looking back on it, I probably wanted to make a really obvious and dramatic difference. I wanted some sort of banner to rally around or some really specific obvious cause to fight for, and ultimately I think I would have liked it if it was a special job for me to do or for Christians to do that was specific and clear and targeted, but most Christians I knew seemed to live pretty much like everyone else around us, normal jobs, normal lives. And I became a youth leader in this time. And at my church, I couldn't help hearing some of this angst that I was experiencing echoed in some of the people I was leading and talking to. Whether they'd grown up in the church or whether they'd be coming to the Bible for the first time, at least for me, I felt not able to adequately talk about what made life following Jesus distinctive to other life. I couldn't really say what the job of a Christian in the world was. So cards on the table this episode, these questions, these are ones I still have. And that's why I'm glad we're talking about it today. So thankfully, I can ask John most of the questions. (laughs) (laughs) So Jonathan, I know not every Christian tradition uses the word that we've chosen to title with this podcast, the word vocation. But if we do use it, what does it mean? And where does it kind of come from?
1: Yeah, good, good place to start. Um, I mean, it's worth saying, I think for most people, the term, the word vocation is a thoroughly secularized concept. Uh, and there's plenty, you know, there's whole streams of vocational education, which is all just about learning a particular career or something like that. Um, and that's the word It's for many people just means a career or a, uh, a job path. Uh, but, of course, within within the Christian world, it's got this other meaning. And, and you wouldn't be the first person, Jacob, to have be, um, been uh, angsty about uh, the question of vocation or calling. Um, mm. uh, and that's so I guess it's important to point out that the word vocation comes from the Latin vocatio, which just means um, voice. Uh, and it implies someone speaking. Uh, and obviously, in the Christian sense, it's got the foundational concept that God is speaking to us, calling us. Um, so the word vocation and calling it has exactly the same meaning. Although um, you'd think in, if they had different meanings, if depending on how you where you were in the church. In some parts of the church, people talk about vocation; it's got a particular sort of flavour and colour to it. Other parts of the church, people talk about calling. And it's got a bit of a different flavor. Uh, in essence, it's exactly the same uh, concept. And it's the idea that God is addressing us, is calling us to something. And the big question is calling us to what?
0: Mm, exactly. And it's, um, it, am I right in saying it's a particularly Christian term? Like it doesn't really have that sense, even though it's a Latin word, it doesn't really have that sense in the sort of pagan or pre-Christian Roman Empire uh is that right? Uh I've got no idea. Actually,
1: <laughs> good question. Okay. I, I don't know about its pre pre Christian life, uh, but certainly, well, certainly,
0: certainly, the Latin word isn't in the Bible, but the concept is in the Bible. We've talked in episode uh, eleven about Israel's vocation, and yeah, there's there's a number of people in the Bible who are called people. That's kind of the language that's used, yes. and sometimes God yes. even speaks to them directly and yes. says, "Go here, do this." Yes. So how does how does the idea of calling
1: evolve through the Bible? Oh well, as you said, it, it, it really begins uh with the concept of Israel. Uh it be, which is fascinating because that's that's a people, right? Um uh the story begins with the call of a person, Abraham, uh, which is in Genesis chapter twelve, and it's really And that's, I guess, the foundation of the whole beginning of the rest. If you think of the first 11 chapters of the Bible as setting up the problem, uh, God made a good world and then uh, sin came in and broke things. Uh, Chapter 12, with the calling of Abraham, is the beginning of God's response to Mm -hmm. to the healing of the world. And God calls Abraham, he calls a single guy, but what he's actually calling into being is a people. And that's the whole meaning, the purpose of uh, the significance of Abraham, why, why it's so important that he's to have offspring. Uh, and so the people that comes from Abraham, who, who become known as Israel, um, uh, have a job to do. God God wants them uh, to do something in the world. And that's, uh, that's framed in different language. In, in um, Exodus, Moses talks about Israel being a priestly kingdom. That's this a whole group of people who sort of function as priests to the rest of humanity that's and a priest is someone who stands in between god and the people or in in between god and humanity they mediate god to the world um and so that's israel's calling is to to communicate god uh to the rest of the world and you know the prophets talk about israel being a light to the nations um and concepts like that
0: Yeah. So this idea of stands between is sort of makes available and makes accessible, not sort of gets in the way.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, transmits. It's uh, in the middle. uh, It's where we get that they are literally the medium or the media by which God communicates.
0: Mm. Mm. And then you mentioned the prophets, but there's also in biblical history, people like Saul or David, uh, They get sort of more specific or more personal calls, you know, God shows up to Ezekiel and says, son of man, I want you to do this or say this to the people, or Jesse uh, presents his sons to Samuel, and Samuel has to pick who's the king.
1: Yes, they do. So that we have these examples, um, which are really important ones in the Bible, of people having particular calls on them. And here, I guess, the really important concept for us to, to keep in mind here is not is what's clear is that uh, the process of calling is the active process of a living God addressing people in particular circumstances, uh, in the here and now, in nitty gritty. So it's not just um, this this abstract uh, concept that exists in the ether of the universe that we have a calling, but but God is actually addressing us, uh, and mm. so. Certain people experience that in in incredibly sharp ways in in various points through the Bible and they 're called to a job to do tasks uh to undertake certain things to speak certain things on god's behalf uh so that 's really important on on the other hand the thing we have to notice is that right through they 're the heroes of the Bible right um mm. <laughs> you know um, if the bible has heroes yeah they're they 're the they're the standout characters, and that's because they've had such a specific calling. In the background, there's always this group of people, the people of God, and it takes different forms from the Old through the New Testament, who don't seem to have that form of address, and yet somehow they're also being included in this concept of calling. So that's an interesting thing to to, to note.
0: So you mean like the the very, very, very many people in Israel who don't have God's voice actually... Speaking to them, saying, "I want you to do this," or
1: "This is; these
0: are the words of the Psalm," or whatever.
1: Yeah, sure. Or, or in the yeah. in the New Testament, um, uh, uh, you know, the standout uh, character after Jesus is Paul, who has a, a very specific calling and brought to the faith and to his ministry through a, a you know incredible encounter. And yet, Paul's writing letters to all sorts of people who have no such encounter with no and nothing like that. Uh, and yet he's addressing them uh, in broad terms around their calling.
0: He's, yeah, he's he's assuming that they have a call and they want to live it out. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that language runs through the whole Bible from Old Testament with Abraham to all the way to the New Testament and the idea of the church persisting through time. But then we get like to this fuzzy Period in history that we tend to call Christendom in Western Europe, and the idea of vocation becomes a bit more narrowed and a bit more specific to certain types of people. Yes, how does vocation, and even it's almost like a technical term. Yes. by a certain point in Christendom, what is vocation there?
1: Yeah, so a vocation in the in medieval church is to be uh, a monk. It's to be a what they would call a religious. Um, so to, to go into a monastery uh, and to practice the life of prayer um, mm. and that's what so it's a calling to that very specific task um, and they're the people who have uh, a, a vocation if you like yeah so there's, there's the
0: vocational religious people and there's the rest of people exactly yeah uh, there's the
1: called and i don't know would they say the uncalled I, I'm not quite sure how they, <laughs> but, they, they talked about that, but um, they, they were people without a vocation. Yeah, yeah. interesting.
0: But then we mentioned last episode the Reformation and how the Reformation begins to operate in Western European economic life and the changes that are going on there. Uh, my understanding is that the reformers broke open that idea of vocation. And they basically said, "Well, everyone has a call. There's no such thing as the religious people and the other people. Everyone's got a call
1: equally." Yeah, I, I mean this this was a huge part of what the Reformation, uh, what Luther particularly uh, did, but Calvin as well. Uh, what an unlocked, uh, I guess, the new um, the new spiritual energy it released um, uh, w- was a lot to do with this concept of its um recalibrating the idea of of calling and vocation and it had i think it seemed both both good and good and bad effects so luther particularly uh blew apart the whole concept of a vocation just being called into um uh, into the life of a monk and he wanted to democratize democratize it and um say everyone has a calling we've all heard of the language of the, the um the priesthood of all believers and so uh, Luther wants to say that everyone has a calling and that every job uh every person can be used in their job uh, by God and they should be doing their their work for the lord um and so he 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 really radicalizes this whole concept to say, whatever you're doing, uh, you should be thinking about serving God in that job. So that that's an incredibly powerful concept in saying uh, everyone gets to uh, have a go at this. You don't just have to have a particular skill set. You don't have to have a particular station in life or a certain social uh, background that you you can have a calling whoever you are. Whether you're a mason or a wheelwright or or a peasant, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that you have a calling. The negative part of the concept for Luther or that that came in was the way the concept was used by Luther and others after him was really also a, a way of shoring up the social status quo. Um, if you're a peasant, then your calling is to be a peasant, um, you mm-hmm. know, and therefore. You shouldn't complain about the life of a peasant. You should do it to, unto the Lord, um, mm, and, and don't try and change it either. Don't try and change it. Uh, and and Luther, he was, I guess you'd call him a radical conservative. Um, so he had radical ideas, but also was quite keen to conserve key parts of the social order. And um, so in the fifteen hundreds, the the big event that he was really uh, horrified by was the peasants' rebellion. Who um, and the peasants had misread... They had under, seen the radical component of Luther's teaching and, and saw that, you know, that democratized, that all have a calling in Christ and Christ has set us free. Uh, and there was the massive, um, in the 1520s, peasants' rebellion. Uh, and Luther just switched ha- switched to a hardline position against the peasants. And mm. he, um, you know, really backed up the brutal crackdown of the lords against the peasants. Um, yeah, so there's that really ugly side to to his notion of calling too, which is really about you know um, don't upset the don't upset the cart, uh, mm. Um, um, mm. Uh, keep the status quo as it is.
0: And of course, there are echoes of that in certain uses of biblical verses by slave owners to justify slavery and say, "Well, you should just." keep
1: being a slave this kind of thing as well. Well, he does use and you know there is a the, uh, the text in 1 Corinthians 7 which says um be content with um with your position in life and and that language is 1 Corinthians 7 is co- saturated with the language of calling. Um so he does use that text uh towards towards that end but I, let's we'll come back to that I think to you know how mm. how Paul mm. in the New Testament Uh, thinks about calling it in those sorts of social circumstances.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, And so like the idea that you could be a peasant or you could be a wheelwright or a mason or a uh, midwife or any kind of job and that that could be your calling in life from God, that that's that's your role in the world. uh, That's like, I think, probably closer to the idea of vocation that we have it in that secular context or a lot of modern usages that it's your whether it's paid or unpaid it's your occupation what what takes the most of your time and energy in life that's your vocation um i'm fairly unsatisfied with at least the 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 way that's talked about in the circles i'm familiar with whether it's um the side that sort of says well, you've got to have a particular call, you know, maybe God's called you to be a travel rider and that's until you, until you do that, you're not fulfilling God's call for your life, that very specific idea of calling. But I'm also equally unsatisfied with the really general idea that you can basically do anything you want yes. as long as you're not doing these particular and quite specific uh like sinful jobs or sinful activities in jobs. Like, you know, if you're not part of the gambling industry or something like that, you're just, that's fine. Just get on with it and do your job. That's, that's all good. There's no such thing as a godly job or a non-godly job. And that, while like that's good, that seems far too broad given that there's so much going on in jobs and how you do a job. I feel like that that underplays the idea of what we're actually supposed to do in the world if we're Christians, and I've always been felt been left a bit unsatisfied by that.
1: Well, that that comes back to I, I guess what we we're talking about in the last episode. Um, was it the last episode we talked about Christianity and capitalism, the rise of capitalism, yeah. and Max, yeah. Max Weber's thesis? Um, so where where that that comes into play with? Um, with what Weber was writing about Calvinism and uh, what happened with on that side of the Reformation uh, it, it has a lot to do with what, what, what you're describing. In, in, uh, so what, what you have in amongst a, um, the Calvinist side of the Reformation is particularly taking place amongst um, the Swiss and the Dutch and a certain group of Englishmen. who Basically, it's very popular amongst the commercial classes and there is a sense that um, amongst these uh, group of merchants uh, that we too have vocations now. We can think of our work as merchants, as being unto God, uh, and we can think about it in religious terms. Um, and that became really powerful uh, to start with um Calvinism had a very strong in the beginning of the Reformation with with Calvin and the the first few generations had a very strong sense of economic ethics. Alongside of that, over about a period of two hundred years, they lost the um, they lost their their grasp of the sense of Christian economic ethics. Um, and we won't go into that. That's a long story how how that happened. But basically, what what they were left with by the end of the 17th century was the idea that we can be merchants uh, and have a calling with God uh, but they had no sense of what Christianity might have to say for about how they might conduct their commerce mm. so basically they became people with a religious fervor for making lots of money <laughs> which is what Weber pointed out and and he saw you know he saw it as one of the root causes of cal- of capitalism yeah yeah. We we talked in the la- last episode that that's not really how it happened, but certainly that was a true thing. That that was a real dynamic. Uh, this, this idea of these um, pious merchants who were um, doing their their most unto God and making a big pile of money uh, as they did it.
0: Yeah, and and it seems like in our current context, there's a there's a strain of that that is it's kind of warped itself into. Well, now vocation and calling and knowing knowing the right thing to do is the thing that's just personally suited to you for your mm. your like set of gifts and your your abilities, your desires in the world, and that yes. your vocation is the thing that best fits the unique you. And I even came across a book um, thinking about this podcast called "The Power of Uniqueness" um, yes. by a guy called Arthur F. Miller Jr. and another Bill Hendricks, and. I haven't read the book, so this might be taken out of context, but they say something that, you know, rings some alarm bells where they say, it's wrong, it is even a sin to accept or remain in a position that you know is a mismatch for you. God did not place you on this earth to waste your years in labor, in labor that doesn't employ his design or purpose for your life. This very specific idea that you are, one person with one set of unique gifts, and you need to find the fit in the world for that. But it's not really a fit around, or it seems like it's not really a fit around.
1: Yes, what what is yes. right to
0: do or needful in the yes. world? It's kind of just what suits your personality.
1: And and there's uh, there's two sorts of dispositions versions of that, I think. Uh, so we you see there's the one version which is, um, let's call it, the fairly loose and relaxed consumer version, which is the idea, um, and it there's, has its secular counterparts, not just a Christian thing, uh, that, you know, um, God made me uh, as a unique individual, uh, and I need to discover my authentic self, which is expressing my gifts and my creativity in my way, uh, and that's what I'm here on earth to do, it's to express my authentic self, and it's all, you know, this whole focus on identity and mm. so on. Mm. Um and that's who I'm searching for is the real me, you know, to 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 come out. Uh, on the other side of that, the more um, religiously uptight version is as you've, and I think common in, in uh, probably more evangelical churches, I think, uh, is the one where God has a specific plan for me. It's out there. He's written it up. It's quite specific, but I don't know what it is. Mm, mm. <laughs> and, and you've got to find uh, it. You're lost uh, I've till got you to find f- it. I've got to find it and... Until I found it, I'm. I don't know what to do with my life. Um, uh, you know, I I've got no no rudder to work with, um, you know, and there's all this pain and angst, uh, for and it's particularly young people. Like there's some adults who still have that struggle too. Um, mm. This idea that um, God has a specific plan for me, which, um, I think it can be a, quite a for all sorts of reasons, a, a very distractive idea for people
0: yeah I've certainly experienced the uh the angst over just wishing that God would just tell me exactly what he wanted me to do um but I also there's there's a book I have read there's a little book by Kevin de Jong called just do something which was given to me by my fellow trainees when I finished a little ministry traineeship some years ago and I think there's a lot of good in the book and he's mostly trying to correct that idea that there's not one unique path for you and that's the only way to fulfill God's call on your life. But I think perhaps he overcorrects too far because he says at one point that basically you can do anything as long as you aren't lazy, as long as you (laughs) do it to the glory of God, you can do anything, which might be true in a sense, but it's awfully vague about just about anything and whatever you do, perform it to the glory of God. Seems to leave too much open and not really keep the
1: edge. Of Christian vocation in the world, yes, yes, that does seem. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think in in a sense, um, it's true. It's a correct statement. You can, uh, the question you can do almost anything as long as, you know if you're doing it, uh, to God and for God, well, you can't. Uh, well, you can't do almost anything because there's plenty of things you just simply cannot do if you're doing it to the glory of God. So I guess that's one correction. Yeah, and um, maybe we'll come to that later, but um. But then the, the, the real question hinges on what is the content of doing something for God and to the glory of God? And that's that's where I think those sorts of statements fall down, is we've lost so much of the content of what that actually means and looks like, um, what I would call the counter-cultural ethical content of the gospel.
0: Mm-hmm. It's all kind of been leveled, too. It's, it's all pretty good. Just go and get on with it. Yeah. 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 And... It's interesting even just thinking about that idea that if we don't find God's particular voice for our life, like even someone who does have God's voice like Ezekiel, was he not fulfilling God's call until God told him that I want you to go and be a prophet? Um, But in any case, for those of us who don't get that kind of voice, what, what actually is sort of the substance, can we say, of Christian vocation? If we want to put some flesh on the bones... Are there guiding principles or are there basic tenets that help it be a bit more specific than just get on with life as you find it?
1: Yeah, that's uh, and I and I think that's the right question. Um and I think um so if we were to look at the New Testament, I think it's most helpful to, to focus on the New Testament here. Um uh so one let let's just, just summarise what I guess what we're what we've been saying before we come to what the new testament saying we, one is this idea that the problems with that how we tend to think about either vocational calling is one we've just individualized it into this sort of bespoke career life career and life plan that god has curated just for me mm. um the second one is we've tended to reduce reduce it to thinking about employment and careers uh, and that's usually Uh, when people are asking about vocation or calling, they're talking about what job they want, Mm. they should get, you Mm. know, Um, which is a very, uh, is really narrowing it down. And thirdly, it's premised on um, this whole idea is that we have a a blank slate of choice out there as well. Um, So it's premised on the whole idea of choice. Um, uh, So we'll, uh, we'll, maybe we'll come back to that. So in Contrast to that, if we look if we're to, I guess, summarize uh how the New Testament talks about calling across the different uh biblical authors in from the, the Gospels to the letters of Paul, uh the other epistles, um, even right through to, to to Revelation, I think you can it's quite clear that they they would all three agree on the on, on three basic premises around the Christian calling. Uh, and the idea is is basically that the calling of a Christian is generic. Um, it's not individual. The, the primary sense of calling is generic. It's the same for anyone who comes to Christ. We all have the same calling. Um, and there are three l- sorts of levels to that. And the, the first thing is we are simply, at the, the first level, we are called to Christ and we're called to a new life in Christ. Mm. Now, that's a huge statement. We're called to a new life in Christ. Um, And, you know, we've talked at various times in this podcast that that's so often just been thinned down and spiritualized to just uh, converting to become a Christian or born again or something like that. But actually the, the content of what the New Testament means by that is literally a new life, a new way of living. And that concerns our economic, social, and political lives, the ethical content of those lives, how we live them, how we uh, relate to money, wealth, employment, all that sort of stuff, mm. um, is what's meant by a new life in Christ, that we have to do everything differently now, now that we're, we've come in, the, the world has changed. Um, so that's the first thing. We're called to a new life in Christ. The second thing, which we've really underplayed uh, in our modern concept of calling, is we're called to a new community, which is the community of Christ or the body of Christ. And that is huge. That is fundamental because what is happening in the gospel, and um, I think we've talked about this in other episodes, Jacob, I can't remember which ones. Yeah, I think Um, episode
0: 10 we mentioned what, what the church is about.
1: Yeah, this yeah. idea that um, we're called to actually a new form of sociality, uh, a new social life, uh, uh, a restored and healed form of human interaction. Um, so it certainly doesn't, being called to a new community doesn't mean we're just called to go to church on Sundays. That yeah. would be a pretty grey, drab uh, <laughs> understanding of it. Um, God. Unfor- unfortunately, that's what it what has what, all it has become for some people oh well to be a christian you have to go to church and that's about it
0: and i think that is part of the angst that i was describing at the beginning whether in me or in other people i talk to that there is this thin sense and therefore why bother
1: yeah that's right but but it's it's fundamental to say what our calling is is to a new community and to be involved in the regeneration of a new form of community a new way of life not just for ourselves individually but amongst us as a people. And what the body of Christ is, is the first fruits of this g- regeneration of social life. People living uh, in, uh, by a different standard in relation to each other, which is you know, the, the wonderful picture we get in Acts chapter 2 and 4 of how the transformed social life of the, of, um, the community of people once they're full of the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it changes their whole way of being in the world
1: yeah so we are called to that to a work of community, so that's not something we think about um about we're called to build to contribute to to participate in uh community hmm. and then the third part of the calling that is generic to all Christians is that we're called to Christ's work of reconciling uh the world back to god uh which is you know that great statement from second Corinthians chapter five um and it's it's framed in different ways. Uh, in in the gospels, and um, uh, Matthew and Luke both have commissions at the end of their their gospels. Go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. Uh, you could, we could frame it in all sorts of ways. Um, we could simply say, put it as simply, is that we are called to serve the world for God. Um, as long as it, that that needs to be filled out a lot. What it what it means to mm. serve the world for God, but. This huge work of, of, I think the second Corinthians quote really captures it all. The idea of reconciling the world back to God. That is bringing a broken and hurting world and bringing it, piecing it back together in God, uh, uh, putting broken things back together, which covers a a vast array of human potential human activity. Uh, It doesn't just mean evangelism. (laughs) Yeah, Although (laughs) although it does. Well, it includes evangelism. So what we mean by quote-unquote evangelism, um, it involves all sorts of works that involve uh, healing and bringing, uh, healing things and bringing people together, bringing people closer to God, bringing people closer to creation. Uh, um, So there's all sorts of components, but being involved in this work of uh, gods reaching out to a broken world.
0: Mm. And... I mean, in a sense, that is what young 20-something or late teenage me was looking for in terms of a banner to rally under. But at the same time, it's it's very broad. Uh, there's a generic call, as you said, to all yes. of us. If it's those three yes. things, for a new life in Christ, new community, and this reconciling work, as you say, that could take lots of different forms. And as we've mentioned before... If we were to be more specific about that, it risks making it not actually able to be practiced by everyone. Uh, We mentioned Paul is writing to slaves, included in his letter, and he's assuming they can live out the call of Jesus in their lives, despite having, in our terms, radical unfreedom and very limited options. Yeah, But I guess it's not just slaves that might experience that limit of options there's many other people for many reasons to many different extents who you know like you said there's no such blank slate of choice for most of us if any of us we're all in a setting we all have constraints on our uh, options yes. yep what what are we supposed to do with that call if we can't just go out and make whatever we choose of life
1: yeah that's uh i think that's a really important question um and that's one reason why i think it is important that it is a generic and really broad calling because it addresses humans in a huge uh variety of circumstances through through history and in just in the world at today and the world through through history um you, we have these three basic sort of elements to the christian calling and in some ways you know the book that you mentioned by the kevin de young his book's called it's just just do something doing. Just do something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you have this comp- these three understandings behind it, then I can wholeheartedly agree with him. If you have these understandings of being called to a new life in Christ, called to a new community and to join in Christ's work, work of reconciling the world, then yeah, what it doesn't matter what you do, just do something mm-hmm. in that that involves that those um those three things. Um
0: But I can imagine like a, a slave in the Roman Empire becoming a Christian and maybe they're working for a mine boss or something. And the boss is sending miners like slave miners into the mine and the average life expectancy is like 30 or something. I think from back doing ancient history because the mines collapse and there's all sorts of like (laughs) problems that, I mean, you know, mines are still dangerous places today. Imagine shoring them up with wood and having lit lamps that are flame based and all this sort of stuff, horrible conditions to work in. And you're a slave working for someone who runs that kind of mine. Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to do? What, like, it's a nice idea, but how does that actually play out?
1: Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's the truly radical thing about what Paul does. And he's probably not writing to slaves in the Roman mines. The slaves he's addressing are uh, really probably household slaves. But I think it's, you know, I think that's a real example. So it's, we can keep it in mind. Um, the really radical thing Paul is doing, and which has been missed by so many people, is we so and what Luther missed, you know, when Paul's writing to slaves and he doesn't say end slavery, mm. <laughs> bring, mm. destroy the state, bring down the system. Um, that's because Paul knows they can't do that. Uh, mm. He knows it's just not an option. It's um, so he's but what he's doing, which virtually no one else in the ancient world has done up to this point. And this this is a huge historical significance of it is he is writing to slaves as moral agents. Hmm. These people who have certain things about their lives which are determined for them. They have no choice about they, um, you know, who they work for, the sort of work they do, um, all sorts of things over which they have very little power. In. They are literally someone else's property. Uh, and yet Paul is writing to them as moral agents, which is huge. He's saying, okay, even in your context um there's a way that you can find to to serve god and who i mean who knows how they they lived how people thought about and i'm um, maybe there's some historians who've done, done some of this work um uh, but to find ways in which you can uh, express the the way of christ whether it's to your the other slaves that you're working with or the people that you're engaging with as a slave or your master itself, uh, the ways in which you express the the radical gospel of Christ, even though you're, you are being oppressed mm. all the time. Mm. Uh, you are an oppressed person, uh, and yet um, you can, even as an oppressed person, and this is the huge liberating power of it, you can you can communicate Christ. Uh, and so, you know, maybe that's um really just in the in the context of the minds, a slave a slave who's looking out for for other slaves uh instead of um what may become a dog eat dog world uh you know mm. uh who who knows what that looks like but it's this radical idea and it's critical because um we just think about this as you know, middle-class people in the affluent Western world, for whom our 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 whole presumption about life and all its different components is choice. We want choice in everything. Hmm. You know, that's the the foundation of being a consumer individual. We want to be able to choose what we do, what we buy, where we live. We want to be able to choose our identity. We want to be able to choose all sorts of things. Where the reality is, for most people, for most of those things. They have no choice, or very little scope of choice, and the question is, what What does the gospel of Christ mean for them? Because it includes them too, and it must. Um, so that's why I think we need to really strip back from our own minds this idea that vocation is all about just what we choose, uh, even though, as we will come to, that becomes important. Um, that it's still it's a concept that has its roots for people who have very little choice as well.
0: Yeah, and certainly there's still slavery in the world today, but there's not just slavery. There's just like you might only be able to get one type of job in your context with your skills, with your opportunities. Yeah, you know, you the, that call is still relevant to you, is what Paul yes. is saying.
1: So, how many migrants to Australia um, are their their qualifications are not recognised here, and you have these yep. hi- highly trained people who are. Um, who are doing the late night cleaning in office blocks uh or you know um being what is it uber eats drivers or something yep. like that you know yep. um all these um or service station attendants uh, who who knows um basically because they need to live right yep. uh, and they have they they have to find a way to support their families uh, and this is something paul recognizes he's quite clear uh, on the importance and the dignity of of Excuse me of being able to um support yourselves and your families uh so they have to live uh and so they may have very little choice about what who will employ them, and so they will have to accept certain sorts of jobs and they may not be the jobs they they want to do, and yet they too somehow are being if they are being addressed by christ they're being they are being called by christ mm. uh and uh that for those people as much as uh the academically gifted, private school educated young person who's coming out of school thinking about choosing a uni course and a career, uh, Christ addresses uh, all those people, um, mm. not not just the one, ones with choice.
0: And, and it's not just with jobs, of course, as we've been saying as well.
1: Yeah. Like so paid that,
0: career, paid
1: work. That, yeah, uh, because there are people who can't get jobs or people who actually... Um, who choose not to work (laughs) Um, we've you know um, there have been all sorts of carer roles that people have taken on because they've seen basically they've responded to a need in the world and they've given their lives to it uh, whether that's as parents or as uh, uh, or as children caring for parents or for siblings or for whatever all sorts of different uh, carer roles which people are not paid but they're doing a they they're doing something uh to express which is expressing God's love in the world if you like yeah. um yeah you know and we need to be able to include all of those people in a sense of vocation or or people with disabilities for example who the some people for whom formal employment is simply not a question and yet there's still this question of what actually might they uh, Christ addresses them too. Mm. You know, there, There's a role. They still um, have a
0: job in the Christian sense.
1: Yeah, the, I think that's a good line to think is there's no such thing as unemployment in the kingdom of God. Mm. Mm. Everyone has a job. Everyone has a role. It's this radical idea of the New Testament uh, that the whole body, even, and Paul says, especially the parts that are most disregarded, that's seen as the most, um, what's the term he uses? Um you Know anyway, the least thought about mm. the, the bits, they're the most important bits. Mm. Uh, so it's it's huge language, and you know, I still don't think I've got my head around the implications of that. Um, but you know, it's there, it's and it's something we need to wrestle with. Yeah, yeah,
0: which which goes to that, uh, younger me as well. That I, I want this one, one call, one job for all Christians to do, but in fact that would be wrong-headed. There can't be just one specific uh, version of the Christian
1: work in the world because it wouldn't be for everyone. Well, that's right, yes. And, and actually, you know, um, the world needs all sorts of things done. The, the, the forms of healing, of reconciling the world back to God, that actually once you start to think hard about the content of what that means... There is so much to be done in so many different fields, so many different walks of life, so many different places, uh, by so many different types of people, skill sets, age groups, and so on. Levels, um, yeah, uh, the job is is huge. So there's no way we could we could narrow it down.
0: Yeah, it's inescapable that there's work to do everywhere. Yes, according to that generic every person call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's thoroughly enough to be thinking about for this episode, but there's there's more hanging in the air around these things because many of us, the, the sorts of people who are listening to this podcast will be in a situation where maybe we don't have every choice available to us, but we all have far more choice than, say, the peasants in Luther's time or certainly slaves now or in the Roman Empire, mm. um, and many of us... Still have to wrestle with, okay, well, given we have a choice, how do we go about it? How do these sorts of considerations affect what we choose and how we live out that vocation within where we find ourselves? Yeah. Perhaps that's what we'll move to in a first for which is a sequel episode. Um, Yeah. Stick around for that if you want to find out what this means for contexts where we have choice. How should we choose? What responsibility does that leave us with? Sounds good. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Jacob. See you guys next episode. Hey, everyone. Jacob again. Just quickly, thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you got something out of it. If you did, why not send it to a friend? Also, if you like this show and you want it to get noticed, please leave us a review if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime... If you want more good news economics, check out Mana Matters, the quarterly publication of Managum. It's available online and by post for free. Just head over to managum.org.au. Thanks!